morning. Good morning. Can you hear me? Hello. Thank you, Anthony. It's good to see all of you. I appreciate your effort in being here this morning. And I especially appreciate the testimonies that uh, were just shouted from the mountain. Um, it's an encouragement for all of us to see what God does in our lives. It would probably be uh, a great experience on a Sunday morning if we just came and testified and testified and testified God's glory and encouraged each other. Don't you find strength when God does something in somebody else? Amen. So, yeah, I say that. I know I've sat there before when someone got up and uh, said something, and I'm like, dang, I should, just, I should say what God just did, and, and I don't. Does anybody else have something? That they just sat there and said that. Come on up, Gretchen. Thank you. Name the mic. That's just what Clark says. Sorry, the ambulance, and they came and um, took her to this place. And during that time, um, prior to that, my dad was, you know, it was a lot on him, and maybe he didn't have um, the patience as much that he should have had. But considering, I mean, anybody knows if you're taking care of somebody how hard it can be. Um, but during that uh, three weeks that she was in there, I think the Lord just gave him another um, level of grace to take care of her. And, um, you know, where she's at right now is she's, she's pretty much like a two-year-old. She can't talk. She can't barely feed herself. She can't take a shower by herself. She can't do anything, nothing. So he does everything for her. And um, I just see a peace and a joy in his heart now taking care of her. Just the stuff he talks about, he's like, oh, mom did this. I'm so excited. Like, like a parent would when a child, you know, does something that they're supposed to do. And he does it with, like, just love for her. And the Lord's just given him another level of grace to get through and to deal with the situation. And so I'm just thankful that um, he's with us no matter what. Anybody else? I didn't really prepare anything anyway, so. Okay, today, <clears throat> we're gonna look at uh, parts of Genesis 3, and then we're gonna skip around and look at a whole bunch of scripture, and I'm gonna tell you some of the testimonies uh, that God has done in my life, 
because it's his testimony, it's his glory, but I do get to partake in that. And then we're going to look at ourselves, and we're going to make a plan, and we're just going to figure it all out before we go home today, or at least get us on the right path. So, today I just ask that you, let me put it this way first, the Lord says, they are seen, but they do not see. See, Gretchen saw, sees that situation, but she, she saw it much differently. Someone else could have been seeing that situation in total despair. But, but God. So today I just ask that you'd see, see God, see with God's eyes. Okay. It's so easy for us to go. How can we have that rest that Pastor Clark mentioned with seeing eyes out in this world? There's no way. There's too much, too much. It's too fast. It's too fast. Too many things. I got eight kids. I can't even. Anthony's chasing three all over. So today, look for God with the eyes that he has given us. All right, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And do not let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. So today we fight. There's something I want to remind us of. And that would be this. Did you know when we go to heaven that there's no need for the sun, right? His glory is, lights it up. Do you know that that same glory is in here, right? There's 66 books in this Bible. It was written by approximately 40 men over the course of 1,500 years. A prophet, a priest, a tax collector, a fisherman, a tent maker, a shepherd, a physician, and the list goes on. Most of these authors did not know each other, and they were from different centuries, different continents. Yet, yet, it all makes sense. Does it not? Their perspectives came from different viewpoints. But they all pointed to the one true God. How is that possible? And the same one way of salvation, Jesus Christ. And all of these men, not all of them, the majority of them 
were way before Christ, and yet they point to him. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. There are three, over 300 prophecies written in the Old Testament about Jesus. And he fulfilled them all. We, I, we can't even comprehend that. There was a study done uh, to cal- calculate probability. You know what that is? My daughter does. She helped me learn it this year in school. So if I have a bag and I have 10 marbles and they're all white but, and I put one black one in there, so there's nine white, one black, I reach in, what are the odds of me pulling out that one black marble? One in 10, right? Okay. So Jesus fulfilled all 300 prophecies. So this study was done by a professor and 600 students, and their findings were conservative. They determined that the probability of one person fulfilling just eight of the 300 was one to the seven, 10 to the 17th power. That means a one with 17 zeros. I, I don't know what that is. It's big. Okay, so let me remind you what we're talking about. This. Okay? This is what we're talking about. And the Jesus... They determined that that number was this big. If you took however many all those zeros are and put them in silver dollars and you took them and spread them out over the state of Texas, that would come to roughly two feet high. If we took one of those silver dollars and we'll mark it with my favorite color, purple, and we throw it in the state of Texas and mix them all up like that's possible. And we blindfold somebody and say, walk until you want to walk, stop, pick up a silver dollar. The odds of that person picking up that silver dollar is what equal to Jesus fulfilling only eight prophecies. And that is what this is. There's a few wows, so let's try one more thing. They went a little bit farther. They made it a little bit bigger. The probability of him fulfilling 48 prophecies was 1 in 10 to the 157th power. That's 1 with 157 zeros. That's only 8 out of 300. It's impossible. But God, that is what, that is what this is. We, we need to see, not see, 
We need to see what this is. We need to see. We need to be reminded what this is. We can't just see this on our coffee table with our seeing eyes. Second Timothy 3.16. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. That is our Savior. That is what this is. And for the believer, we get to partake every day of all of that. But when I sit down in the morning and I'm tired and my coffee hasn't hit yet, and I'm seeing, I'm seeing, I'm not seeing any of that glory. Eh? So turn with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to read the first 13 verses. We're not going to cover all of them. There's a, there's a lot in there, but we're going, to, we're going to touch on some of it with a purpose. Everybody there? The serpent was the shrewdest or most subtle of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden. Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful or good. And its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. She took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord, God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. The Lord God called to the man, Where are you? 
He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, It was the woman who you gave me. It was the woman who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, What have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied, and that's why I ate. I just want to touch on the first few real quick. The serpent was subtle. Satan's mission statement, if you will, is John 10.10. The thief's purpose is to steal and to kill and to destroy. That is his purpose. We know that he's defeated. He knows that he's defeated. But he has a purpose, and we need to be aware of that. And make no mistake about this. His problem is not his doctrine. He knows all of this that we just went through and described. Does he not? His problem is his affection towards that doctrine. So his aim is to steal our hearts and our affections and our faith from Christ and to kill and destroy us spiritually. And how is he going to do that? Subtly. Subtly. You know, when I was young, I learned the art of stealing. And as I got older, I perfected it. I was very good at it. I could pick a pocket, and the man would not even see it coming. Now, I'm talking about basketball, not stealing. But like the serpent, when I play basketball, I learned a long time ago that whoever I'm playing against, that I will give space and watch. I see his tendencies. I see his weaknesses. I see where he goes. I see how he tries to be tricky and look this way and pass that way. And when he's not paying attention, I steal the ball. And he doesn't even really learn the first time because I step back again quite subtly and let him go about his business. And how is the serpent any different in our lives? He's subtle. He's subtle. Rarely, except under cases of persecution, is he all over you. And there is that. But in our normal lives, most commonly, he is subtle. Subtle. And I'm not going to see that with these seeing eyes. We're only going to see that with the eyes of the heart. 
Verse 6 says, The woman was convinced she saw that the tree was good. I was in the grocery store with uh, Aaron and uh, Allie uh, two weeks ago, and we were ran, ran in, and we were going to run right back out. It was Meyer, so that didn't happen. And we're standing in the long line, and there's a woman in front of us, and she started talking, and she said something, and I replied, and she said, oh, you're an optimist. It almost fell off the stage. And she said, that's good. And she said, my husband is too. She said, I'm the opposite. Aaron caught wind of that and said, me too. And the two started talking. And then I started listening, and I'm hearing, and it's so annoying, and it's so annoying. And I'm like, wait a minute, just a second ago, it was good. How come the two perspectives? Earlier this year, we were on vacation. And like what happens on vacation, sometimes you pick up a few extra pounds. And uh, my wife continued after vacation to pick up pounds. Just realize, hang on, give me, give me some room here. She is very keen to the things that she eats. Okay? So she knows, all right, something's going on. It's something that I'm putting in. I'm not pregnant, thank God. So she started looking at what she was eating, and she came to the conclusion that it was walnuts, and she was having a reaction to them, and it was just bloating her, okay? So she cut out the walnuts, and we just, it was the best diet plan you ever had. You didn't have to work out at all. It's just falling right back off of her. And so as she's watching that come back down, and she came downstairs one morning, and she said, I stepped on the scale today, and I weighed whatever. That's great. And she said, funny thing is, though, three months ago, if I would have stepped on the scale and saw that weight, I would have been like, oh, my gosh, what's going on? It's two different perspectives. Now, my mom would say any kind of chocolate is good. And she's right. She's just right. Not necessarily good for you, but she's right. Turn to uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 17, please. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked him, Good, good. Teacher, what must I do to inherit the eternal life. Now, if someone came up to Pastor Clark and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He is going to say that is the easiest I've ever had it to evangelize to someone, and he's on track to lead them. So what does Jesus say to the man who said, Good teacher, why do you call me good? He totally bypassed the initial question. But that's why Jesus came. He came and died on the cross. 
for us for that reason. And yet he says to the man, why do you call me good teacher? There is only one good. Only God is truly good. Is Jesus good? Yes. He's perfect. But the problem is, Jesus knew the man's perspective of good. And it was not God's perspective. And as you went down a little bit farther and Jesus explained to him, the man went away sad. The two different perspectives of good. Turn to James 1.17. Please. Whatever is good and perfect comes down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in heaven. He never changes or casts a shadow or casts a shifting shadow. If every good thing comes down from heaven, why does it say we need discernment to recognize the difference between right and wrong and good and evil? Turn with me to 1 Kings 3.9, please. I'm going to wear out your pages a little bit. Let me help you out. It's on uh, page 576 in my Bible. In verse 5, that night the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream and God said, what do you want? <laughs> Ask and I will give it to you. God in a dream asking you what you want. I don't think we grabbed a hold of that one. And rightfully so, man, mostly we ask. But God is asking Solomon, what do you want? And if you jump down to verse 9, he says, give me, give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great nation? What is going on with the right and wrong? On one hand, every good and perfect thing comes down from God. On the other hand, we have the ruler of this world. And he says, okay, I can follow suit. I'm going to use all the good things of this world to steal their affections. We have God's good, perfect. And Satan knows doctrine. And he knows us. And he knows we're in this world, even though we're not of it. But he also knows we see. We see. All the good things in this world. Much of the problem today is the church has come to a place where we don't know where Christianity stops 
and where modern society begins. So, let me use an example that is most obvious to all of us. A few Wednesdays ago, someone said, cell phone has become an extension of your hand. Okay. There's a lot of good things in the cell phone. I heard short eight years ago, you would have had to have five different devices to use this thing. Just this one thing. Last night, my mom was asking Aaron, what are you doing that thing? And she rattled off a whole bunch of stuff. Because there is a whole bunch of good stuff on here. Things have been simplified. I, I mean, on my phone, I can listen to music, Christian music. I can go to Facebook, and I can check out anthonysministries.com on Facebook. Right? That's a good thing. I can... take a selfie of all of those. <laughs> and if I knew how, I could post it on Facebook and, <laughs> and I could check in at Grace Emanuel so that everybody knows I'm at Grace Emanuel at quarter to 12. So the thief can go to my house and steal everything. <laughs> I've got the app for Grace Emanuel. This is going to be a kind of a funny question. Does anybody have a cell phone on with a calculator? Calculator? Open it up. I need somebody's calculator. I don't want to use mine because the first time I did this, I, I, uh, I, was, I couldn't even believe it was true. I had to double check. I thought I was almost going to call Clark and say, I don't think I know how to do math right now. Okay, you ready for this? The average person spends two hours a day on their cell phone. The average. And we're not talking about talking to grandma. We're talking about on your cell phone doing whatever. Okay. Two hours a day. Doesn't seem like much. Some of you are saying no way. Some of you are saying I got that covered by nine. <laughs> but nonetheless, it's two hours a day. All right, so who's got the calculator? Give me two times 365 days in a year. How many hours in a day? Divide that number by 24. Don't say it yet. This is how, at two hours a day, this is how many days, at 24 hours a day, we would spend in one year at just two hours a day. What's the number? 30. Can you believe that? Thanks, because I really am one sure to this day, and I checked that like weeks ago. It doesn't make sense. So in one year, you spend 30 whole days on your phone. Wow. Boy, how we can get blinded when we're seen like this. Sometimes I think we would be so much better in seeing if we went around with wide, or eyes wide shut. 30 days. And yet this is, there's a lot of good things in here. There's a lot of good things in here. 
So needless to say, where are our affections? I, I got I, I to gotta believe, I don't give Satan credit for putting Bible apps on the phone, but I got to believe he just kind of chuckled. I mean, how much easier can it be to distract people? Now, I know I use mine too, but I'm just being real. How do you go to this thing without, I, oh my gosh, I, I got a notification that uh, Pastor Clark posted, and I should probably check that out before I go to my Bible app, and then the next thing you know is something else. I don't even get to my Bible app. There was a conversation I heard, uh, someone told me, uh, devil and his son were having a conversation and they had come together to talk about what we need to do to distract the saints. And son said to dad, we really don't have to do much. They're taking care of all of it. <laughs> we need to start seeing with the eyes of the heart. Genesis 3.6 Eve saw that the tree was good. But it was off limits to her for her good. For her good. God's good for her. But in the beginning of 6, it says the woman was convinced can tell you, I can do a lot of things when I'm convinced. You know, I've been on a, this voyage for eating our whole family. We eat healthy. You know, and I, uh, as a kid, you know, my dad ate sweet potatoes. It's a bad experience for me. But it, I learned that how good they were for you. So I'm like, all right. I need to put in good here, so I need to, I need to figure this out. Uh, a bunch of us were out to dinner one time. Christy had a sweet potato, and she uh, let me have a taste of it. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's way too sweet in, in, the ta- in the form of a potato for me. So I'm like, all right, researched it, researched it. All right, the best way to cook these things and get the most nutrition out of them is to steam them. So I tried it. Oh, that's not as sweet. I can do this. All right. But, I, but I can't, it's still too sweet to eat it plain for me. So uh, anything, as far as I'm concerned, is pretty good with uh, eggs over easy on it. So I put eggs over easy on it because I was convinced that they were good for me. So I continued and continued to find the way to make it work for me. But Eve was so convinced the other way. So when we walk around in this hostile environment that we all love and enjoy, are we convinced with these eyes of all these things that we see are good? Yes. Some things, not all things. Erin is convinced that she will not ever eat a sweet potato. I am convinced that I will never take another bite of apple pie. 
There are things that we know, and then there are things that we think we know because we're not looking through the eyes of God. So Eve was convinced, wrongly, but convinced nonetheless, that it would give her wisdom and so sin in the form of disobedience was born. Turn to uh, James 1, 14 and 15. Temptation comes from our own desires. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Now, wait a minute. The tempter is the one that tempts. The tempter is the one that the tempter is the one. The tempter is the one that is so smart that he knows our weaknesses. He knows our desires. He knows my affections, albeit misguided. He is not going to let that pass. So, I... Uh, we do not lift Satan up. He's only a tempter. He tempted Eve. She took, right? Still need to be aware of his schemes, but understand it's my desires. It's my affections. Is my affection on 30 days? All right, so when sin is allowed to grow, turn back to Genesis chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. The Lord said to uh, Cain, why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? His whole demeanor changed. Have you ever seen somebody that's demeanor changes? I would say to you, give them a hug. Give them love. That's just a sad thing here, but... Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right, what is good. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it. So, understand, Cain was angry. Here. What's waiting at the, door, at the door for him? What's waiting at the door for him? What sin is waiting at the door for him here? Murder. 
He's only angry in his heart, and murder is at the door. It's progressive. It's, and it's punishment. Do you understand? The further we go into sin, the more punishment it is for us. It is for us. And sin, or, uh, Cain went on to wander, never to be seen in the presence of God again. So look at Eve. Eve's first sin was what? Disobedience. And then she became the tempter. Here, husband, take this. And then she became the accuser. It was the serpent. Do you think that one little sin is not going to lead to something else, then you are only seeing this. Because it is clear as day. It's clear as day. If... uh, Granny would have said to me, uh, Friday, I'm going to go out in the 90-degree heat and work for six hours. And I would have said, no, you're not. No, you cannot do that. When Jesus was telling the disciples the things that he has to go through now, plainly speaking to them, and Peter took him aside and reprimanded him. And he said, no, you are not. And the Lord patted him on the back and said, Son. No, he said, Get behind me, Satan. Peter. He's talking to Peter. The one that, when, all, when Jesus asked all the disciples, Who is it that they say I am? And Peter said, You are the Christ. And he said, You only got that from revelation from God. Peter got revelation from God, Jesus is telling Peter, get behind me, Satan. Wrap that all up and put it right in me. Don't think for a moment that our walk cannot be there where Peter was this time. And I don't know the time frame, but in my book, it was only a few lines down. And it certainly wasn't a length of time for Eve. Subtle, 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 subtle. And oh, how much more subtle when we walk with these eyes. Not only is sin crouching at that door. Now get this picture. You have sinned. Whatever that picture is for you, a roaring lion crouching at the door. He's down. He's waiting. You go to that door and he's there. Murder. Right? All right. I'm going to give you a little bit of good news here. Turn to Revelations 3.20. 
Look with your seeing eyes, with God's seeing eyes. Look. I stand at the door and knock. If you hear, if you hear what kind of voice does he have? Still small voice. Amongst all the noise out there that we hear with our natural ear and not with the ears of our heart. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and share a meal together as friends. And we will share a meal together as friends. Um, You know the intimacy of that. I mean, it, if you're if you're your parents and you get to get out and have that time with just the two of you, how you long for that. You know, um, I have a couple of friends that I had breakfast with in the mornings and. Um, I knew them before I started having breakfast with them. Little bits here and there. And then we sat. And I got to hear their heart. And there's mine. And we sat as friends. So at this door... There's a crouching lion. And at this door, standing tall. There's two roads before us. Is not that what the man of God has been saying to us? There's two roads before us. There's a way that seems right to man. This is standing at the door. Thank God. All right. I'm just going to ask a couple of quick questions about where we're at. I'm going to give you a little quick story myself, and then we're going to make a plan real fast. Genesis 3.8. God is so merciful. His grace is awe-inspiring. The woman sinned, gave, gave birth to sin, and yet God walks in in the cool of the evening breezes. Not thunderous. Not like me sometimes. When my child's trying to grow up, he 
God comes in in the cool evening breezes and he calls to the man, where are you? Now, is it possible, really, that there was a tree that big that they were hiding behind that God did not see them? No. God knew where they were. And yet he asked the question, where are you? Do you know where you are? What eyes are you seeing yourself with? I can see just great. Not really. I was not smart enough to, I don't know how many times phone thing irritates me a little bit and was not smart enough the twice twigging time to express my dismay about time on the cell phones. And my wife would say to me, you spend just as much time on it. And I'm like, I do not. In my head, I do not. And then I would be dumb enough to say it again and I would say the same thing. And then one day I'm like, all right, where am I with this thing? So I looked at my phone. I asked myself, I did ask myself, but I looked and I'm like, where am I? All right, I got a game on here. I, in whatever time that we relax with the iPhone, means it's just I. And all right, I, play a, I play a, played a poker game. It's not for money. But if it was, I would have made a lot of money. So off goes the poker game. Big deal, right? No big deal. Whatever. I don't need that. I don't need that. See, what else do I do on my phone? The only thing that I really can actually handle and keep up with is Facebook. Okay? How often do you check Facebook, Jeff? Not how many times do you think you check Facebook, Jeff? How many times do you check Facebook? Well, too many, Jeff. So what are you going to do about that, Jeff? All right, I'm only going to look at it one time a day. Got it. One time a day. Okay. So let's be real. Oh, I'm sorry. One more thing. The other thing that I do mostly with my phone. I listen to music all day long. And I have headphones on because I work with my hands, so my phone's on my belt, and I don't have to use, and I can even talk on the phone at the same time, right? I have been doing this for years since we were over there. All right. Let's listen to the world. Get rid of the headphones. All right. Is worth is is worth listening to worship music all day good. Yes. It's fine. But not if that is where my affection is. I can't see the world. I can hear a little bit there, and then I gotta unplug it and be discouraged because somebody's trying to talk to me and put my ear back in. 
All right, that's done. None of that. I, I don't even like talking on the phone now because I got to hold it and it's so irritating. But here's what happened. Here's what I learned. My phone beeped. Don't act like you don't know what that sounds like. What happens when your phone beeps? Oh, I got to go check that. It's pulling me. This little beep has got control of me. And I didn't think it did. Remember? My wife says, you're on the phone this morning. I said, I am not. I hate it when I'm right. I mean, she's right. So. And then you see that beep, and you're like, Nathaniel Sexton posted on Gracie Manuel. That's got to be important. i got to check that. I can talk myself into going back to that phone like that. Am I right? Do you think he's posting something bad? He's posting something good. But where is my affection? My affections are wrong. How is that, Jeff? Probably do the same thing that most of us do. I get up in the morning. I just turn off the alarm on my cell phone. I go downstairs. I get a cup of coffee. I get my Bible. And I take a sip. I'm just going to look at one thing on Facebook. <laughs> and Satan's like, yeah, go ahead. Oh, my gosh. So what I have learned, there's, um, if you find yourself in that spot, what I have noticed, there's a positive. When my phone beeps, I don't have to run to it. I don't even really care at the moment if I look at Facebook one time. Okay, because the affections are changing. The, the pull is changing. Okay. So there's times now where like, I'll go to the store and I won't take my phone because like we did in the old days when I was a kid and you run to the house and you had that super long cord that went all the way to the store. Right? <laughs> I mean, that, wasn't that the luxury when we were kids? We had the really long cord so we could walk a little bit farther. My daughter wishes she had a charger that long so she's not stuck by the wall. So. Okay. So this got in my way in the morning, so I had to leave it upstairs. Okay. I had to. I don't have to anymore. Because it doesn't control me as far as getting in the way of spending the time. What, did, what, what happened with Cain? What did we say? Eager to control you. Subtly control you. We must subdue it. All right. That's a cell phone. Let me just tell you real, two real quick stories. It's important. It's the same theme. And all at the same time with that, I want to apologize, and I'll tell you why at the end. And that wasn't very heartfelt. I want to apologize to all of you who are my family. And you'll understand that in a minute. In a minute. Two years ago, Pastor Clark 
and I were going to run a marathon together, half marathon, don't want to exaggerate. And uh, then Pastor Clark, being so wise, said to uh, Josh and I, hey, you guys want to run a triathlon? None of us had ever done it. Um, so in our ignorance, we said, sure. And so I started looking at what that is. Okay, and it's an individual race. And of all the things that I learned, and I got a new bike, and I got a wetsuit, and I ran, and I ran, and I ran, and I ran, and I ran. Everything that I learned, and from people that run these things, is they said for your first one, have fun. I don't know how to have fun without doing fast, hard. Doing the best that I can in that area. There's some other areas where I don't, it doesn't really translate, to be quite honest with you. But in that area with a physical thing, you're going to be hard-pressed to kick me and stop me. Unless you're the Lord and you knock me in the knees, and that's a different story. So I started working out. Well, what happens when you work out and you work out and you get better in shape, better in shape? It takes longer to time to do it. I try to do most of the things that I do in the morning before I go to work so that it doesn't interrupt with family time, but that even went over into that because of the, it was so much training. So I had to start leaving the house earlier to go to the gym. So what, what, what is sacrificed? Yes, reading spending time having that lunch with breakfast with God. Okay, but I'm here. I'm running. I'm running that race. It's a good thing. I am getting in great shape at 50. I had some youth before. I, I couldn't run quite as fast yet. I might have. But I was probably in the best shape of my life, to be perfectly honest with you. And that's not a bad thing. But that good thing, that thing that Satan said, I'm going to use the good things of this world to steal their affections. And here I am. Okay? So, we all know uh, Jeff's a painter. I walked in this morning and someone said to me, I think of you every time I look at my walls. <laughs> it's nice to be thought of. No, that's not a lot. You want to know what a lot is, actually, since we said that? We can't even fathom it, so I'm just going to spew it out real fast. God thinks of us this much. As many grains of sand as, as, many gran, grains of sand as there is in the whole world. That's how much he thinks of us. You, can, you can't even comprehend it. There's, you know, there's been a little silly calculations, one foot by one foot, grain of sand, 1.8 million, something like that. Or take a teaspoon... Calculate the grains of sand in that teaspoon. Multiply it just by the number of lakes, oceans, bodies of sand. Not how many is in all of those. And it's like 7.5 to the 10th, 17th power ridiculous, right? And it's not even accurate. That's how often God thinks of us. Okay, so I'm off running. My affections are already being partially stolen. Am I still seeing God? Am I still talking to the God? Am I still having some success in the morning? Yes. 
disobeyed, tempted, accused, right, Eve? Okay. So my work, I work a lot sometimes, and um, I, I work for someone, and then I have my own business, and God always has this way. He foresees my day job getting a little slower, so he gives me a side job to fill in the gap financially, right? It's like that all the time. Often, sometimes, but mainly that's the way it is. And Aaron and I will see the job, and we're like, all right, some extra, we can catch up. And then my day job slows down, and we're like, all right, God's provision. That's even better. So I get the side work. I got to do it at night and weekends, right? God blessed me with this side work. So I said, all right, it's just a short period of time. I'm just going to crank it out on the weekends. I'm going to work 24-7 on Saturdays and Sundays. Ever so subtle. I'm only going to miss, you know, church one time. Two times. I'm almost done with this job. If I press on a little bit more, I'm just going to stay late Wednesday night. And I'm going to get it through. The progression of that for me is, is far wider. Throw the rock in the pond and it's out. Okay, but, you know, just being quite frank with you, if I don't make it to church on a Sunday, um, all right, I didn't tie, so I'll make it up next Sunday. Maybe I will. And then it goes on and on. Next thing you know, you're not tithing. It's just... What happened? Okay? That's what happened. So, what I'm saying to you guys is I'm sorry. We all, we're a family. We all have a part. I haven't been doing my part here, quite honestly. I've been off scene, not seen. Hebrews 2.1. So we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard or we may drift from it. All right. I'm going to hustle real quick through these. I'm going to throw a bunch of scriptures at you. I'm not, I'm just, we're not going to have time to go through them, so if you want them, um, just ask me afterwards. And the reason that the, there's scriptures with these steps in the plan is because everything we said about scripture to start. Do we believe it? There's not a thing in this world that happens that we can't go to Scripture and find the answer. Except for somehow, I cannot find my way back from wondering to sit down and read. It eludes us. What happened for me was, it became a little bit more, not a little, it became legalistic. All right, if I, if I stop doing this and I stop doing that, and I'll have a better chance. And if I do this, and I'll do that, 
It'll work. It doesn't work. So I said, all right. I just got to go after Jesus, right? Yes. But if I don't have a plan to go after Jesus, it ain't going to work. So here's our plan. Now, here's the reason for our plan other than our own that we know sitting in front of us. But here's the world today and believers today. 88% of people own a Bible. 80% think the Bible is sacred. 61% wish they would read more often. 61%. Ouch. The average household has 4.4 Bibles, which is slowly diminishing. Fifty-seven percent of Christians read the Bible four times or less per year. Per year. We can't navigate out there without this. Twenty-six percent of believers read their Bible four times or more per week. I'm an optimist, so that's good. Here's our strategy, folks. We need to meditate day and night on the Word. When I, when I say that to you and you hear that with these ears, no way. No way. Night and day. Even though he thinks of me as many times as a grain of sand in the world, I see meditate all day and I'm like, there's not a chance. You know what I got to do today. It ain't going to happen. Some scriptures for that, Psalms 19, 7 and 8, 19, 14, Psalms 1, 2 and 3, Matthew 4, 4, John 17. Here is the thing. When we see this way, it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. When I go to work, my buddy's marriage is a wreck. Things on the job are terrible. My wife calls and the kid's sick. And the list goes on. If, and, and as Gretchen shared with us, if I don't see with the eyes of my heart, there's no way I'm going to get through that day. But if I go through my day seeing with the eyes of my heart, it's not work to meditate all day long because God's glory is everywhere. All I have to do is look with the right set of eyes. So don't be fooled when you hear these things and look with these eyes. A few weeks ago when Brother Rodney was here and we had the prayer afterwards and my prayer was, Lord, help me love you as much as you love me. Okay, with these eyes that sounds ridiculous. So Rodney said, he was reading in John chapter 14, so a couple days later I picked up John 14 and I went in there and I read and boom, here's your answer. If you love me, obey my commandments. And I looked at it. I said, yeah. What are your commandments? How can I keep all of them? I don't think it's going to work for me. 
And so I, I just meditated. These eyes are totally wrong in that scripture. What has Pastor been saying to us for what is the what has the number one verse been for at least the past few weeks? Did you raise your hand? No, okay. I thought you had it. Hebrews twelve fourteen. Pursue holiness. Pursue my commandments. Pursue. These guys say legal, legal, warning. There's no way you're going to keep all my commandments. It's, 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 it's our eyesight. Memorize the word. Memorize the word. The sword of the Spirit is the word of God, and we use it to fight off our enemy. So we need long swords and short daggers. We need long verses, and we need short verses to edify ourselves, to edify others, and to fight off the attacks, the subtle attacks of the enemy. Pick a time of day and make it happen. If you don't pick a time, it's not going to happen. I'm sorry, the the verse for memorizing words was uh, Psalm 119.11. The verse for pick a time is Psalm 90.14. I'm a a morning believer, okay? So when is your morning? If you work midnight, you get home at 6 in the morning, you go to bed, you wake up at 5, 5 is your morning. Why, Jeff? You have to cleanse yourself to go back out into the hostile environment. If you don't plan that time, it's not going to happen. I don't care how good your intentions are. I mean, you may be doing it right now and you planned it unintentionally, but you have to plan it. You have to plan a time. Pick a place. I have the same spot on my couch that I sit. If you pick the playroom at your house where the kids are, it's not going to work. And if you don't pick a place, it's just not going to work. We have two couches in our family room, and when we do laundry, and Erin will stack uh, laundry on the couch, she does it on the other one. <laughs> I just thought about that. She in there, stacks it on where she knows I sit. Pick a place, or it's not going to happen. Why? Because the enemy is so subtle. Pick a plan on what to read. Psalms 119.18. Otherwise, you will fumble through the word and more than likely not finding anything to read, at least of any meat. Read the Gospels. I'm an Old Testament guy, Jeff. I love King Solomon. Yes. Do we not have the man of God that explains the connection back and forth from old and new? Yes. We, we Don't hear me wrong. We are, I'm not devaluing anything. But when I say to you, read the Gospels, 
What are you, what are you hearing with that? What did we hear when we started? The guy that fulfilled 300 prophecies? Do we not need to get to know him? The people that they went out to the cities and preached about, and they said, who is he? We don't know anything about him. You want me to go to him, and I don't know anything about him. Why is there four Gospels? Because we've got to learn about him. We have to read the Gospels. Colossians 3.2. When you go to the Gospels to read, go with those eyes. Look for his glory. Look for him. Get to know him. So that one day, when you're standing singing a hymn, and you have a heart attack, and ten seconds later you're standing before him, He's not a surprise. No. It's the climax. Just what I thought you'd be like. I remember when you said that to me. And lastly, almost lastly, resolve to fight every known sin every known sin. Revelation 3.19, 2 Timothy 2.19. Sin comes from darkness. So if I have a little pocket sin of darkness over here, so now I'm seen through the darkened glass, right? And I have this little pocket sin over here, and I'm wondering why I'm not happy in God over here. We need to get rid of the little pocket sin. But we are not in this world today going to recognize what that is with these eyes because it is so blurred. Where does the church end and start? Where does the world end and start? We're not going to be able to determine on our own when I, I get up tomorrow morning and I sit down and I put my foot down. I'm going to walk through the house and I'm going to see with this, these eyes, and everything that ain't good's going. It's not going to happen. Because I, can, I can't do that. I can only do that with this. What did we say the reference point for good is? What is your reference point? We can go on the phone, and I can find anything about anything. Is it true? We don't know. We don't know if it's true. Some little guy in Timbuktu wrote something, and it what? It enticed my affections. It pulled my desire. Huh. That must be it. And now I'm drug away by my own selfish desires. So we have to resolve to fight every known sin. Look, 
Look around. You don't have to look far. There's not that many of us in here. Right? Look around again. There are a lot of people that have been walking with the Lord for a long time, right? Look around again. I do not want to make my sin known because look at them. They got it together. You know what's funny? When the painter walks in with a shirt and tie on, everybody notices. I don't want to be noticed as different. I, I, I want to hide my sin. There's a song out, Truth is Harder Than a Lie. Truth is harder than a lie. We're seeing that wrong. Look at the great pillars in this small body. Look at what they've been through. Hey, I've got a problem with such and such. Who in here is going to help? Who has been through this? Who can help me with this problem? Who can help me? You've been through that. Help me. I am not going to do that with these eyes. We have got to see this with these eyes. There is freedom if we can do that, but we cannot get over the hurdle to for this short vision of ours to acknowledge that I have a sin and come to the very family that can help us. So we need to fight. We need to fight that. And God said, when I am weak, he is strong. When I am weak, his glory. Oh, his glory. John 13, 17. Okay, hear this with the eyes, ears of your heart. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Now that you know these things. So, I hope we will take on the good fight in a a new fight, in a new way, with new eyes, new hope. All those things that we talked about in here are for his glory and our hope in him. Christ went with joy because of what laid ahead of him. Let's pray. Here we are, Father. Many different spots. Many different circumstances. But to you, you stand at the door. Doesn't matter where I am. 